Howdy, everybody. I'm Robert Cannon, and this is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics. Episode 12, Gordon Ip. Gordon, welcome in. What's up, man? Hey, thank you. Thank hey, you. I'm saying your last name correctly, Ip, right? Ip. 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 That's right. It's just, it's two letters, so it's I figured <laughs> I can't mess that up too much. It's you, you would be surprised. People have in the past. There was a, tur- I'll start real early. There was a tournament once in the Midwest where someone was like, Gordon IP. And I was like, well, how, how did you mess that up? Internet like, protocol? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Gordon, you and I worked together at Wilshire Academy. We've taught together. And then you were a student at Nebraska. Is Mm -hmm. that right? UNO, uh, University of Nebraska at Omaha. And then you also competed at East Los Angeles uh, College, right? Yes, I'm Uh, a proud Husky. That's right. right. Yeah, I was there for like two years. I competed there for two years, of course. And then I, I, I coached the year after. And then that's when I went to Omaha, Nebraska. So walk me through, Was that? did you get started at East Los Angeles College? Is that where you got started? doing speech or did you do it in high school or what mm, yeah the funny thing is i didn't even know what speech was i was like part of the the general populace that's like oh speech you mean like debates do mm-hmm. you debate there you go yeah like that is i've heard that exact sentence so many times can i curse on this podcast you could say whatever you want fuck yeah <laughs> anyway just don't I was, swear oh uh <laughs> i won't i will not so no, go I, ahead. I, I you can say what you want. Thanks. I appreciate you. Um, anyways, so in high school, I was one of those people that was like, oh, speech. Blah, blah, blah. And I had um, a girlfriend in high school who did speech. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. And then uh, I think our junior year, she took me to a tournament and was like, hey, we should do a, uh, an original duo together. I think it was, uh, yeah, I think it was called ori- Original Duo. Original. This is in college or high no, school? No, this is in high school. Okay. Junior year of high school. And I had no idea what it was. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Or was it freshman year? I don't know. I just know it was like the last, they had like something called an icebreaker tournament, uh-huh. which is like, you know, all the noobs go and, you know, have a good time. And I went there, we wrote a duo together and performed it. And then we didn't break or anything, but that was like my introduction. Cool. And cross. Like, oh, this is, there's other stuff. This is what speech is. And then I didn't hear about it until my uh, freshman year of college when I had already graduated and my really good friend, Raul Herrera introduced me to the speech team at ELAC and then the rest was history. So you did one tournament as uh, as a high schooler? Yep, just one. A, a, a single tournament and a single icebreaker tournament and that was it. And it was original duo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a weird event to get started on. It was great though. It was so fun. We, it was cool because like I didn't realize, uh, you know, even back then I was a writer. I, I wrote this story. Well, I, I don't remember who wrote more. I, I'll just say we did it 50-50. But we wrote this story about... Um, about I think it was a mute dude in a hospital and him trying to, he like gets into a car accident and becomes mute or something like that. And then needs, and then is trying to be with this girl still. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. Cause it was like from a very early age, I was able to be like, Oh wait, writing, I can like write stuff. And, yeah. And then, and then speech was an amazing platform to be like, Oh, I can now I get to perform it. Like, so when you got to Elac, did you, uh, how did, you said your friend brought you to the, to the team or did he take you, I mean, did you have a, a speech one one class that you took as well? Or how, how, how did that work exactly? Mm, um, <laughs> so the, the first tournament I went to, the first university college tournament I went to, he was uh, he, he had had a, a, a long night. Mm-hmm. And then he hit me up like 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, huh, huh, hello. And he's like, hey, I'm outside your house. Um, I really Gordon's interpreting this for me right now. It's great. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing yeah. All my interpreters out there, shout out to the interpreters. He popped Dramatic. in everything. <laughs> his gesture for his cell phone was 
was excellent. <laughs> Crisp you. and clean Thank blocking. You. Hey, Go that's, ahead. What I'm, that's what I'm known for. Nice tech, man. <laughs> Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, so uh, he calls me 5 a.m. in the morning. He, he's like, hey, I need your help. Uh, I need you to help me drive here. I just need you to be my moral support. He had never been to a tournament. It was his first tournament, too. And he had a late night, and I was like, okay. I got you. Um, I got up, got dressed in a suit. What a decent friend. Yeah, decent. Very decent. Only yeah. decent, really. And I drove him all the way to Long Beach to CSULB to have his, church, his tournament. I stayed with him there the whole time. And um, in between rounds, we like shot the shit. And we napped in my car in between rounds. Yeah, so that was my first tournament ever. Like that was my introduction, and then when I but did you compete or you just went to observe? Not at all. I just went to observe, and then but you're wearing a suit. I was yeah, just like so because I, like I wanted to look good and next to other people too. Okay, I didn't want to be okay. left out. Right. And then I met I met the coaches of Elac, and that's how it started. Like I was like that was my connection. Got it. it wasn't like I met there. I went there and like competed at impromptu or something. No, it was like I got there, met the coaches, and then fr- you know when you meet people that that's the real connection. I feel like in most places. Well, if you're already waking up early in a suit and showing up at the tournament, that's ninety nine percent of the battle. <laughs> right there all, all you gotta do is can you speak english because if the answer is yes we're done yeah, i mean it's, it's I a done deal that's about it that, those are all the check marks Gordon, for... you might be the only person in forensics history who has shown up to a tournament suited up ready for round one but not even competing and knowing he's not going to compete just not like oh no, i'm here to hang out just here to support my friend guys. just, just to all. see what's happening yeah <laughs> suited up and everything all right so yeah that was my yeah. they they rope you into the team yep that's and do you remember who it was like what coach it was, was oh it? yeah without a doubt yeah it was uh ryan smith and jay edward stevenson still very very good friends of mine mm-hmm. um i wouldn't even say friends they're very much my mentors I, I would call them my friends except like they taught me so much over the years and i owe so much of like really my entire life to them because mm-hmm. I, I got through school because of them, you know? So those were my two coaches at ELAC. They, they're, they're no longer coaches there. Um, I think Ryan Smith is doing, um, he's like the head of the communications department now. Mm-hmm. That's sort of, you know, he's doing like more like school-ish stuff. And J. Edward Stevenson, if somehow you're listening to us, to this, he's a hustler. So he's he's out there. He I think he like buys and flips homes. He used to be like the superintendent of another school. And, you know, everybody wants him because he's such, he's such an amazing person. Well, that's great. So they get you doing what? What do they have you doing first? Oh, so the first thing that they throw me in is poetry, without a doubt, because I had done slam before that. So right. I did spoken word. I'm also involved with a nonprofit called Get Lit Words Ignite. And so we do a lot of slam poetry stuff. And so it, the easiest transition was like the way that Raul sold it to me, my friend who had introduced me in the first place was um, basically it's slam, but for 10 minutes. And I was like, I could do that. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes you do slam and it's 3.30 and you're like, oh, I, I could have spoken more. Or yeah. I could have written more or whatever. But it's it's just... Was it most slam three? Is that the time limit? Three minutes? It's about three, I think, because in Get Lit, we have three minutes with a 30 second um, grace period. Okay. So like 3.30-ish is like the window. But yeah, they just threw me right into poetry. What was my first piece? Um, uh, I, uh, ooh, I think that was my second year's poetry program. I don't remember my first year's poetry program, actually. But I, I did poetry in DI. And I also always wanted to be an actor. Mm. So poetry DI, they just threw me in there. And then I did a duo. I did this. Oh, my God, Robert. Oh, my God. You would have loved it. Was it an original duo? No, it was not. I wish it was. I, I No, I don't wish it was. I don't, I don't think I ever would have written that. Okay, so you would have loved this duo just because who I, I, who I know you to be as a person. But this duo was about China. It was about the history of China and how, like, fucked up some of the shit that China used to do was, but also like it was culturally educative, but it was me. And then this 
Latino dude. His name's Nicholas Montero, and he plays an old Asian grandma. It's like completely not PC at all. Like the whole thing is like fucking with Chinese people, and like he was doing an old Chinese grandma with like squinty eyes and an accent. It was so bad. It's <laughs> like uh, what's his name from Breakfast at Tiffany's? That kind of yeah. It was Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was that bad. It was terrible. But I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it, you know? Did he slip in like fake buck teeth, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing? No, we would have been disqualified. You know, uh, we but, wanted But a nobody shot. knows, right? That's right. Exactly. I used to, there was a piece that I did uh, yeah. uh, my junior year in college yeah. and I had to slam down on my knees and I used to wear knee pads underneath my suit what? because I was... I was going full force down on my knees. I'm like, I'm going to really bang myself up if I don't take care of this. And mm-hmm. I was like, I got, I got to wear knee pads. And I was like, if somebody busts me in costume on that, then all right. But I was like, you know what? I'll just wear them all day. And then nobody's going to bust me on it. So every tournament that we went to, I'd have these knee pads underneath. And sometimes people, I'd be sitting there waiting for my next, you know, my next round. And they'd be going, what's, what's up with your knees? Oh, it's for my duo. And they'd be like, what? what huh? Like, I, and I realized... <laughs> Uh, it's not a costume if you're wearing it all day, I suppose. But. Was it you and Dave? <laughs> no, it was me and Tiffany Brain. Oh, okay. And uh, and then me and Shaw had one later on that I I did the same thing. I Wait, to wear Shaw Davari? Yeah. Wait, you competed with Shaw Davari? Oh yeah, bud. That's so funny and makes so much sense. Yeah, we were. Uh, it Shaw and I. Shaw was a guest on this podcast earlier. Are and, you serious? Yeah, we That's uh, awesome. we talked about doing duo together because we we took sixth at AFA in duo. Wow. And we. It, it was great because I had had all these experiences, you know, with uh, Dave Hale and Tiffany Brain and Matt Grissat yep. uh, and, uh, and, and even some other people um, that you know, kind of came and went. But anyway, I learned so much from doing duo with all these other people. And same with Shaw. When Shaw and I got together, it was just a, a perfect Lego fit of, of doing duo. We knew exactly what to do. Our rehearsals, when we were first putting it together, were really short. They were probably... Um, you know, three or four sessions of a couple hours each, and we were we got it, we're good, wow. and we just kind of knew exactly what to do. We were communicating really, really well. We just knew what steps, and we both took it serious. And we were just like, let's let's nail this thing. That's such a good feeling when you're on the same page. Duos take forever, yeah. and surprising with me and Shaw didn't, and we were we were amazed. But anyway, this yeah. is about you, not me. So, <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> but it could quickly spiral. <laughs> so you're doing, uh, you're you're doing. Di, you're doing poetry, yeah. and and how do you fare? Do you go to Fire Pie that year? Yes, I went to Fire Pie that year, and I got bronze in both events. Okay, I think. and the wild thing, I mean, not, I mean, I just think I'm. A, let me back up a little bit. I think I'm a very blessed person mm-hmm. in my life to like be in the right place at the right time, and and be around, surrounded constantly throughout my life by like such incredible supportive people that have like only elevated everything that I was born with and helped bring things out. I say all that to say that my first year at Fire Pi was the first time ELAC broke at nationals ever. Mm-hmm. So like it was... And what me, year was this? Uh, it was 2013. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I got out of school... Tw- uh, 20, 2014. It was 2014 because it was 2013-2014 year. Okay. Uh, school year. So I got out of high school in uh, 2012, June 2012. I went... I dicked around, went to PCC and GCC for one year. So you was, went to GCC? Yeah, just you know, for like one semester. You know, I used to teach there, right? Wait, what? Oh, yeah, I know. I remember you used to tell me, you told me about this recently at, at, at Denny's. I didn't know you went there. Yeah, I went there for like a semester, my, my, my first semester ever. So it must have been fall 2012. 
That's right when I was teaching. That is wild. I was on that campus at that time. There, and then, there, you know, there was a public piano. Yeah. I played on the public piano once for like maybe an hour. And I was trying to learn this one Adele I song. I threw eggs at an Asian guy who was playing piano. <laughs> it wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> you threw eggs no, at I some did, I did. <laughs> I did. Other than, uh, I was setting you up, man. This is impromptu. <laughs> How dare you? It's trying to get something going. Anyway, <laughs> I, I might uh, maybe that was the first time I saw you. It was on uh, Glendale's campus watching you play the piano. It might have been. It, but the funny thing is, I was playing for an hour and I was trying to learn this Adele song, the da 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 da. Never mind, I'll find that one. Mm. And then there was a guy. There's a coffee bean yep. shack. Yeah. The guy from Coffee Bean walks over and taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this guy's going to say to me. And me, you know, everyone, we're all our, our, our own heroes and protagonists in our head. So I turn around, I'm like, I'm hoping he's going to say, like, I love what you're playing. Keep going. He turns me around. He's like, can you please stop playing that? You've been listen- I've been listening to you practice that for like an hour and a half. And I'm right over there working. I would love it if you just stopped. Or a different song. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't know any other songs. I was trying to learn that. I was 18 years old, super impressionable. Have no idea who I am as a person. Can't stand up for myself. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll stop. And then I stopped. Like, it was terrible. <laughs> but that was my GCC experience. But yeah, GCC, PCC, and then... My first year at Fire Pie was 2014, so it must have been April 2014. Um, and then I got bronze in poetry, and I got bronze in DI. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. And so then you come back your sophomore year, yeah. And now you're probably doing more events at this point. Yes. So, so how many events are you picking up at that point? This time I did poetry, poi, duo, and I want to say another DI. And then they almost got me into impromptu, but I, I think I didn't. So mm. it was just a switch between like, I went from two to four, mm. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you like, we, 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 I mean, back in, back when, in those days when I, when I was still competing there, we definitely were a very small team. Like, you know, we literally, it was like my first year when we had broken for the first time, it was like five people. Oh. That was our team. And it was super tight, compact squad. Like I still hang out with those. Are, that's like my, fa- another family to yeah. me. Um, you know, it's just like this super compact group. And then my second year we started, you know, branching out a little bit, um, because we got to, we, we, we broke for the first time. We were mm-hmm. able to show our administration and be like, look, look at this great stuff we're doing. Please give us more funding. And, you know, and then it, it kind of grew from there. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how did you fare your second year? Not to measure all of your successes by national results, but you know, that's, that's what people do anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? right. So right, I'll play right. into that game. But <laughs> A, how did you feel about your sophomore yeah. year? And B, how'd you do? Oh man. Uh, well, I will say t- just to just to level out the playing field a little bit. I think I went to HFO both of my years, okay. which I was very lucky to do that we got the right funding for. But I went to HFO both years, and I'm pretty sure like my first year I went like six six day one because I only had one one piece at that point, and then like five it's a two six. round tournament. Yeah, and then five six day two. <laughs> oh wow! So you improved. Yeah, I think so. It might have been five six 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 <laughs> to, to be honest. And then, and then my second year, I went to HFO. Say exact. I was like, I'm gonna do so much better this year. Five five four six. Like <laughs> it was no, it was terrible. But then my second year at at Fyro, um, I got gold in poi, and then I got bronze in duo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got golden poi bronze duo. Man, that poi round, I can, st- I still remember it. I still remember it because, I, yo, oh my god, it was so cool. I'll be real with you. It wasn't, it wasn't like the most poignant of poise. Poignant but, of poise? Poignant of poise? You, you put the poi in poignant. I Go do. <laughs> it wasn't the most poignant of poise, but uh, it was a it was a poi about go about life in reverse. 
and there was almost no point to it other than I had all these beautiful poems that were like poetry and articles and like a, a song or two and then like some yeah about like what if we lived life in reverse what mm. if we like were born from a grave Benjamin Button kind of Benjamin thing. Button type stuff and like um the the the, the, the thesis the intro really just talked about like there's really no point to this other than like if you look <laughs> at our at, at life it, it helps a build appreciation for life trying to view it in a different perspective i mm-hmm. think was kind of the point of it and it, t- it had like this beautiful poem where like um the poet's dear friend like died of a drug overdose and she, he was saying like i wish i could see her uninject the heroin from her veins and oh, wow. watch her become youthful as the heroin like flowed out of her bloodstream and all this beautiful imagery and then i check it so the tech right was that i flipped all backwards. Of my page backwards there you go and then check it i had an outro bro <laughs> so right around that four minute mark all these people start looking at me they're like okay this is a really long teaser guys and then i could see the dawn of expression on their faces at around 4 30 when they're like oh, he's gonna do an outro guys it's a piece about going in reverse and there's gonna be an outro this shit is ridiculous and so like right around eight minutes instead of an 8 30 I'm like, I close my book with like a, like the, the biggest smirk on my face. Like, yeah, motherfuckers, this shit's so cool. And I like put it down and I do my intro and everyone's like has this nervous electric energy. You can uh-huh. feel it in the audience of like, I can't believe he's doing this shit. And then after the intro, boom, climax. And that was, that was the piece. It was cool as shit. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that shit was super cool. Yeah. I liked that piece a lot. Except my poetry. It was funny. My poetry that year, I think the first seven tournaments I went to that year. I think it was seven or six. I got first place. Uh-huh. So I went like ev- like and t- to Elac again. This is like our second year actually ever like having any um, real resources. Substantial. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like that to me, I know at the time it was a really big deal. I was like, wow, like the the positive feedback is amazing. Like and it was a lot of affirmation for me. Growing up, I I wasn't really pushed to do performance a lot, and I just didn't have a lot of self confidence growing up. And so that was like really, really big for me. Like it was like all of that. And then I didn't break <laughs> at, at Pyro. You didn't break at all? Not Did not break at all. Not even to quarters. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a big. That's was, a letdown. It was. There's <laughs> always one of those pieces, you know. It's like you always have that one. You're like, all right, this I can rely on. This is my flagship. I, I yeah. got this one yeah. locked. And yeah. then it's like. Wait, what? That didn't break? <laughs> yeah. That's always the one that doesn't break. And, and the man, random one. I, I Every tournament, there's always, like, I remember my senior year competing and at, at AFA, and there were, like, two or three DIs that I'd been right there with all year long. And when I found out they didn't make it to quarters, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is smooth sailing at this point. <laughs> like, they're all out of the game. Little did I know that some other people who had not been knocking it out of the park all year long had stepped up their game for, mm-hmm. for national. I um, love seeing that. I want to go back to, before we continue yep. with your junior year and beyond, let's yep. pause the story. because yep. We're going to go slightly out of order. Let's go back to your childhood. You know, you were talking about yep. your family not really encouraging you to perform. Why is that? Tell me a little bit about what that is, like your growing up, your experiences. Yeah. Um, well, I think... And a lot of, uh, well, I think it's a little different now, but I think culture is a huge play, it played a huge part in that. I think both in the way that my parents, I'm, I'm from Hong Kong, so I was born in Hong Kong and moved here when I was around three and a half-ish. And um, traditionally Chinese, you know, values, they want you to do something super stable, you know, just because um, 
not only being an immigrant, but just like Chinese traditional values, they want you to like land a, a, a solid job and be able to, you know, pay for your parents when they get older and they can't work. And then, you know, to be able to support your family. It's all about survival. Do you identify as as Chinese or what, I guess, what is it? Hong Kong Hong Kong knees. Some people say Hong Kong knees. Some people say Hong Kongers. Hong Kongers. That one doesn't like none of them feel right to me. Yeah, that don't feel Hong Kongers. It feels kind of wrong saying it when I say I'm like slightly racist. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Hong Konger. It does. I don't know why. There's nothing racist about it. But when I say it, it just feels weird. Well, even like Chinaman sounds (laughs) really racist, right? Yes, yes. But it really is like you're you're a man from China. Yeah, (laughs) you're a Chinaman. Uh, but that does sound really racist, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so, I, I guess because of the political turmoil between Hong Kong and mm-hmm. China, there's always been that kind of separation of like, are they part of China? Aren't they part of China? Whatever. Yeah. And that that obviously is coming to a political head now yeah. in our current mm-hmm. uh, political state. Mm-hmm. But so, do you identify as Chinese, or is that just a shorthand that you use to describe yourself to people when you meet them now, or what? What would you say? I try not. I try my best not to shorthand it anymore. I I don't anymore. Really, I say I'm from Hong Kong, mm. but like. To shorten it, I would say Chinese, but I'm from Hong Kong. That's mm. that's usually the sentence that I go through. If if I like meet another person and they're interested in my culture, um, uh, you know, pushing us some of them when it's when it's the first person. All right, let's. I'm gonna go off on a rant for just one tiny do half it, a do second. It, do it. When someone, okay, you. All right, check it. I'm. I only speak for my people, so I won't speak for like people of color as a entire thing because that's a that's a lot there. I'll say for Asian people specifically. If you're not Asian, don't let your first question to me be, so where are you from? Don't let that be the thing. Like, get to know who I am as a person first. And then, like, if somewhere down the line in the conversation, it's like, oh, so, and then I say something about my culture or something. Oh, where are you from? Anyways, that's Yeah, really right. Cool. Well, as a white man, I don't get asked very often where I'm from. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Nobody you know? cares. <laughs> yeah, but then... So that's my that's my that's my spiel. Don't let that be the first thing you ever ask an Asian person. Well, it's reductionary, it, right? It reduces yes. you down to you are other. Exactly, right? exactly, and that's why. It, and it's it, it's othering immediately. It's like, oh, I I know that now you see me as some Asian person, not just some person who happens to be Asian. There's like a huge difference. Right. Whereas when it's another Asian person, it's so hype because I'm on the train of like explicit Asian self-love and and love within the community is so incredibly important these days because, you know, of all the stuff that's happening, but Asian people have just never had a time to be like, yo, Asian people, I love you. I love being Asian. Mm -hmm. Black is beautiful and brown is beautiful were these incredible movements of self-love within African-American and Latino communities in America that was like, that taught people to be like, yo, my shit is dope. But Asian people, because of of tradition or culture or not wanting to be too loud or, you know, like all these different things that that, that factor into the way that our political existence has has headed now... um, we've never had like a yellow is beautiful or like Asian people, you like self love is not a thing. Mm-hmm. So when I see another Asian person, if we're the only two in the room or it's just like a conversation between me and some Asian person, I barely know. I'm like, Hey, so like, Hey, um, what's up dog? Where are you from? Like, I knew it. <laughs> you feel me? <laughs> I know that was going down. <laughs> it Finally, does. I have confirmation. <laughs> it does. And you do have, and it does happen. Yes. Cause it's like a, cause, cause it's so different when you know that the other person, the person on the other end of the line knows exactly what the fuck you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. They just have those experiences. Exactly. Yeah. And it's power empowering in that way. White people do it too. We just call it clan meetings. It's like a little, 
<laughs> anyway, do you wear the hoods or no? is, do you have like new fashion no. now? No, 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 no. That's so last year. <laughs> we do tie dye now. Oh, that's great. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are there any hippies that accidentally stroll in? They're like, hey, hey that- man, oh. I like your hat, man. <laughs> Anyway, let's get back to your family. Right, 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 right. So let's your family that. is like, you better have a job. Yeah, you, yeah. Tech industry, right? Yeah, you, yeah or like doctor. doctor. Yeah, but I, I'm also very blessed because I, I, I happen to have incredible parents who, although they they wanted that for me, they never were like, you must do this. Mm. That That is a very common, it is a trope and a stereotype, but I think the stereotype is based in some truth about Asian traditional values of like, exactly what we were talking about you know like the son the prodigal son needs to go out there and make a career for for himself to support the family like that's a very real traditional value so i was lucky enough that they were like yo we want you to have a stable income we want that for you but we also know that the most important thing is happiness my mom always told me growing up if you wash dishes for the rest of your life and you're happy i'll be happy that's, she told me that all the time. She was like, I, I will love you to the day that I die if you're happy doing what you But love. either way, you're washing those dishes. <laughs> you better be washing some dishes, That's boy. That's your chores. <laughs> all right, so but, but, yeah. but they didn't give you much of a chance to perform. Not at all. I saw I was not, there was no there was no resource for that. You know, okay. it was that, that was that was not a thing that was imagined to do. You can hear my daughter performing in the yes. background over there. I think right? she's gonna be great at DI. She's crying, <laughs> she's good at that. I'm I'm down. I'm I'm a coacher too. She does have a uh, because she's so young. Yeah. She has that one tear duct that doesn't. It's not fully grown. That's so perfect. one eye starts to get like teary. That's perfect. I know, right? That's exactly what you need. Man, you can't have she, both. And she starts getting into like DI land. It's D- just gonna be mm-hmm. that single tear drop every that time. Qu- that HFO quarter. That's there when you, you need that one tear that's drop. Right. And yeah. then you let Save it go it in the that. final. Yeah. yeah. All of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So they're not giving you a chance to perform. Right. And so how did you kind of uh, how did you scratch that itch? Man, it. You know, uh, I have the exact moment. I had the exact moment when it started, actually. There was a random, I want to say, fifth grade assembly that I was a part of for Mother's Day. And when I was part of this Mother's Day assembly, we were told to sing Boys to Men's famous song, Mama. (laughs) So it goes, Mama. It goes goes that way. It's It's a song about moms, and it was for Mother's Day. And some of my friends, I think they were trying to fuck with me a little bit. They were from another class. They were like, oh, we know you're doing the song. You know what you should do? You should grab the microphone and like go center stage and just belt it and just like be so dramatic. It would be so funny. I think they were trying to like embarrass me a little Mm. bit, not humiliate me in like a bully way. It was just like, yo, you should go do that because it'd be funny. And I'm like, you guys really think I should do that? You think it'd be funny? And they're like, yeah, you should. And then so the day of the performance, they tell me this like an hour before the performance happens. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing it. And so like I'd always wanted to perform. And I inside, the reason why I even succumbed to that is because inside I knew that I actually did want that. Like I actually did want like the spotlight. And like I love to, I've always loved to perform and like anything performative and dramatic I always loved. And so when they, when someone was like, hey, go do that. You know, it was just a tiny slight push even. I was like, fuck yeah. I'm all over it. Yeah, I'm doing it. And so I, I, I was like in the back row of this singing thing. I did not know how to sing at this point. Still don't. And then I took my microphone off the stand and I saw my my teacher, Miss Wong, go like, what the fuck is he doing? And like the widest eyes from the front row watching me. And I'm like, <laughs> mama, mama, you're the da 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 da. You, your eyes are like tears from the stars. Like I went in the middle and did that. And so what did everybody do? And the whole crowd erupted in like cheers. Like they were all cheering for me. And yeah. they were, at first it was like, a, what the fuck is happening? Like I, this doesn't look scripted. 
scripted because and then it wasn't and i was sharing a mic with like three other kids but they were like they also were like uh what are you doing you know because yeah. everyone is like frozen stiff up there most people have you know as we know public speaking is the number one fear right of, of, in the world and like so they were just frozen stiff. I took it, went center stage, and then like first of all, my 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 friends started cheering. They were like laughing their asses off in a little box in 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 the audit in the audience in a box of people is what I mean to say. And they like got on their feet and started cheering and clapping and like whooping and hollering for yeah. me. And then the all the moms were like, "Yeah, you're awesome!" And it was great. That's yeah. awesome. So that was the moment when I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm a you're farmer. bit by the bug." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From that point, only on. a few short years later, and a couple of. Uh, uh, original duos later <laughs> you're you're taking in some gold from Phyro Pie. yes and that's how i got there and then in in between there was some slam poetry and spoken word too, okay and th th that's how i scratched my itch for the most part Did, was there ever a time in your forensics uh performance era that you didn't do poetry did you ever not do poetry there was my it's so funny so this is a perfect transition into ah. the, my junior year it's almost I like i did research interesting i mean i didn't do research but not it's almost like i did <laughs> No, I, I I put that I, that's way too high. I would not expect that of you, Robert. I really wouldn't. Um, anyways, my junior year, I uh, I got to University of Nebraska Omaha. They know that I I do po I've been doing poetry for at this point for like, because I you know I didn't I wasn't a traditional student. I didn't, wasn't eighteen and out of high school. At this point, I was like twenty one. You know, and yeah. I've been doing poetry since I was like fifteen. So I I was doing I'd been doing poetry for like six years, and they knew that I won awards for poetry in my first two years and and then and then for some reason that year i didn't get poetry <laughs> what do you mean you didn't get it you well, didn't I get just, around to I, it or they, they told I, you not to do it or what i think it was a combination of a lot of things it was a combination of me not knowing and you at elac because it was such a small team and it was very close-knit and and my coaches were basically like two dads to me mm -hmm. they were it was very hand-holdy. You know, it was like, okay, so I have this great idea for this piece. Let me know what you think of it. They would hand us something. We'd be like, oh, this is interesting. I'll do it or, you know, whatever it was. I think I, it took, that was my transition year of like, oh, wait, I have to go figure out something I want to do, bring it to them, get the lit, Got it. do all that stuff. And it just never happened. I did a POI that year, which is basically to me was a poetry program. If I'm being real, I was just like, I'm just going to, this is basically my poetry program. But um, I, and, I never, and a, a, a snippet from a movie thrown in there just to say <laughs> technically it's a POI. An article that, yeah. that we're, so we don't know where we found, but yeah. we found it. Three sentences from <laughs> USA Today and you're good. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we didn't get to poetry that year. I think it was a combination of like uh, all the p ideas I pitched were terrible because, uh -huh. um, again, a, 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 a transition from the two-year circuit to the four-year circuit is super different, you know. Um, the level of performance is way different. The type of performance is way different. The, the t things you talk about are way different, way more nuanced in four year. Sure. And so I just didn't have anything that was nuanced enough for a good poetry program. And then on top of that, um, uh, they, they were like, well, you kind of have, I, I, I took up impromptu that year and I had, I had a lot of stuff on my plate anyway. So it just, we just never got around to it. And how'd you end up doing? Um, how'd I end up doing, how'd I end up doing my, um, I got I got, uh, I, I semmed poi, I semmed poi and semmed duo. Is this AFA or NFA AFA, or both? AFA, yeah. Uh, AFA? UNO, uh, Omaha only goes to AFA. We're okay. not at an NFA school. So yeah, we went to AFA that year. Um, I got, I, I got a sem in HF, at HFO that year, uh, for, for poi. And then at, so finally, you're you're getting some better scores at HFO. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. After all that tuition money I paid, I I have something to show it for it. I no got longer a just fives and sixes. 
<laughs> not this time. And then I think at the Norton that year, we did well. I, the Norton, I don't well, remember. What was your big prize for your HFO semi award? Because I know one year Dave and I went and we yeah. got a we got an eight pack of crayons, <laughs> right? And they were not. I I I think it was from the dollar store, but it had to have been. Here's a giant like uh, chub pack of crayons for a dollar, and we got one of the packs of crayons. You know, like it had to have been something like that. And the other semi prize was a but it was a coloring book, but it was like clearly photocopied from a master color book, the coloring book that they had stapled together. So like the resolution was just terrible. Yes, and, the lines and were there was squiggly. no cover to the coloring book, and it was like, dude. We're in college. What do you do? Dave was so pissed. I, I can remember him. him being he so threw bad. it. He threw it at the at the people. He was like, "Take this!" He was like, ch- like chucking it at them. He was oh so angry God, in the award ceremony. I was kind of like <laughs> getting my distance away from that dude, but yeah. but understandably, man, like yeah. it's one of the biggest tournaments of the year, yeah, I and think you the go hardest tournament of the year. Yeah, and you show it's only two rounds. Yep, two rounds, and and you're getting into semis or finals, and you're getting a pack of crayons i mean at that book. point just give me a certificate and be done with it yeah, right like, exactly that's almost insulting i would have preferred to have the the the, the piece of paper i was gonna but you don't even it's not on. it is the prestige of winning right yes but, definitely but the crayons is weird it's yeah. like what are we what are we doing so what i don't know what do you remember what your what your big prize was there for hfo man um i mean norton has these beautiful they're cool yeah cups that are made by the school yeah. right so the school makes their own trophies which is a, a really cool unique Dope. interesting idea and a, kind of a promotional thing of the arts i guess but yeah man like, i think it was i think i got a picture frame with a I, I remember mine being cool. Mm. Like they weren't, they didn't blow my mind. And then they also weren't a pack of crayons. Mm. <laughs> I think it was like, I think the one, I, I, this might've been my first year or second year um, in Nebraska, but um, I, I got like a, I got a Rocky horror picture show banner with a inside a picture frame. Huh. I think is what, I, I think is what happened that year. I think that was that. that I was know one year Mount Sac had a tournament that was, um, it was all fashion themed it was right when like Project Runway was coming out and things like that were popular. Mm-hmm. And when you won a an award, you got to go up and there was like a big collection of stuff. Yo, and you could you pull off one? like a tie no or like so shoes sweet. or something like that. And yeah. people, they like got stuff for tournaments. Like you got to pick fashion things. And I can't remember all of the stuff that there was, but there were, it was like you get to pick. And so, of course, you wanted to be called first, right? Yeah. So you, it was kind of a punishment, though, because the people who got first place got to pick last. last. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, it's backwards. But it was a good idea. That's sweet. And yeah. I got a couple ties out of that. I remember that. Ooh. So, I mean, I like unique prizes when they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they tried. They actually tried there. Like yeah. that, that felt there like was they, some thought. Yeah, there they, was some thought that went into that. <laughs> some intention. Yeah. Um, and then I think that year, my first year, junior, my junior year, I think at, um, I ended up yeah, at AFA, I ended up going Sems with my poi. What was my poi about that year? It was about some Asian shit for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely about some Asian shit. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was about uh, un- unpacking the model minority um, from a specific viewpoint. I forget what. But it was about unpacking the model minority and just talking about how, like, South Asian people specifically um, have incredibly... Um, high poverty rates and have incredibly low graduation rates from a uh, high school and mm. um, 
and how the Asian American experience isn't a, mon- isn't a monolith, you know? A lot of people from East Asia, uh, Japan, Korea, China, you know, it, and it all depends, of course. I, per- I personally am from Hong Kong. I don't, it, that's... The, yeah, you're a Hong Konger. I'm a Hong Konger. <laughs> you Hong Konger. All these freaking Hong Kongers <laughs> all over the place. Rioting in the streets. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's difficult. That, that is a very difficult conversation because I don't know what to call myself. You uh. know, I know that I don't feel Chinese. Uh. I know that Hong Kong's culture and traditions and values are very heavily based on Chinese culture. But are we the same thing? No, we don't eat the same foods. Mm. We don't speak the same language for the most part. You know, they speak Mandarin, we speak Cantonese. Um, we've had a very, very complicated relationship with co- colonialism uh, and colonization because of World War II and how we were ha- handed over to the British. So, like, we have a lot of different cultural ties to a lot of different things. So, do I call myself South Asian? I don't know. But um, I do know that um, the Asian American experience is always seen as, like, above other people of color like we have we and we do again have some inherent um privileges that other people don't have like for instance me getting pulled over is not the same thing as a black person getting pulled over in a car a black black folks have a totally different relationship with police enforcement than i do right i can i can play a card in that in that instance right i can keep both hands on the wheel and speak super eloquently and fluently and i won't get judged for it whereas if a black if there are black folks driving and they're pulled over by a police officer i mean i i get scared but when i get police pulled over by a police officer but i can't imagine that's the same thing so anyways i'm say all that to say that my poi that year was about um the model minority and how just the fact that our experience is so much more complex than just you're another person of color with more privileges, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I know when I, when I was growing up, I, we were struggling. I remember, I remember living in a U-Haul at one point, you know, I remember um, having no money. I remember my parents not being able to come home. Cause Man, you guys working. could afford the U-Haul and we had the, we had the cheap knockoffs. Yeah. The, we had to live out of the back of the, uh, the it was I-Hall. just like, you know, the I- <laughs> <laughs> Not you all, I hold because <laughs> yeah. you have to. I have yeah. to do it. <laughs> I hold. <laughs> that's uh, that's how long did you live out of you out of U-Haul? Like literally, you living in the back. Yeah, no, not 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 in the or back. Or you had your stuff loaded up. We had all it. our stuff loaded in there, and I remember sleeping in the seats because mm. we were sleeping in the because all of our stuff was in the back. Yeah, life was I, wild for. I a while. remember hearing about people who would actually rent. U-Hauls yep. to live inside of, like living in the back of the U-Haul. Yep, because they're because like it's probably way cheaper than rent. Yeah, right? and you get it's like a flat almost. Yeah. like you can decorate Just it. Put stuff something. there, and it's mobile. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> try. We're, we're, I'm down. Can't you down? No, let's do it. No, I'm not down. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm I sure. Know. I don't know, man. Look, I could we could fit all this stuff in a U-Haul right now. Yeah, if we get a crusher. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so take me into senior year. What yeah. happened senior year? Oh man! So senior year was a was a doozy. Scoot a little closer to that mic. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. My bad. My bad. No, sorry. You know I'm not a professional podcast. Let me. That's okay. Neither am I. Let me do the <laughs> the Go smolder ahead. real quick. With yeah. My hey, how are so you? So let's talk about your senior year. My senior year. Yeah. I'll do some ASMR with the baby in the background. It was a big year. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. It was cool. Um, 
I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life at that time, so I was very distracted, that's for sure. I had just a lot of stuff going on. and That says to me there's a girl involved. Yes, there All was. Right. Uh, <laughs> How did you know, Because they, I, I had a lot of stuff going on means there's a girl involved. Right. <laughs> maybe there's a guy involved, yeah. but I'm going to go maybe there's both. a girl involved. Yeah, maybe both. Uh, but that, that, was, that was a really big... That was huge, but in terms of forensics, man, it was one of the best years because um, I found my poetry program. Oh. I found my I, the you know the program yeah. you know like the senior year thing that you do that you love and remember for the rest of your life. I got that. What you're known for? Yeah, yeah, based, yes, very much so. And it felt so good to perform every time. Um, so I, I'll kind of walk through the narrative of that. Um, I was looking for a poetry program. I think that year I started out with a prose was looking for a poetry and then I was doing impromptu on the side as I always did. And um, I was trying to find a poetry program, like pitching all these ideas. None of them were really hitting. And then I get into this Facebook argument with someone over Facebook. Um, I remember, I, I even remember exactly what it was. It was when Cardi B was getting a little bigger at that time and Cardi B tweeted out something weird about um, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> she said something like, um, she was talking shit about Kim Jong-un and, and said something like wonton soup or called him wonton soup or some shit like that. And it was like, that's racist. That's It's very blatantly and clearly racist, mm -hmm. even if you're a person of color. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> Shut I, I wasn't aware. All right. <laughs> but yes, um, so that happened. And then someone, um, a friend of mine over Facebook made a Facebook post about it and said, um, basically like, it's okay, Cardi, go ahead. Because uh, it was another Asian person and um, an Asian American... Um, I would say someone that's more invested in like political activism and stuff like that. Um, this person posted something that was, I'll, I'll paraphrase and say basically like, it's okay because Asian um, communities have been anti-black for so long. And like, because there's so much colorism and racism in Asian communities, Cardi, I'm going to give you the past. I don't feel bad that you were racist to Asian people right now because you killed Kim Jong-un something. And so that got me. That just really, really got me because it just didn't make any sense to me. Mm. It, it just was like that is taking it too far for me. Yes, there's inc an incredible amount of anti-blackness in Asian communities and it needs to stop. Yes, there's colorism in, in, in Asian communities and that needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that my people should be made fun of and some Korean dude and yes, even if he's a horrible dude, should be called wonton soup? Fuck that shit. That is not the way social justice equity or equality works you know my people should not have to suffer like that you know and don't get me wrong no one was killed over that tweet you know it was just a tweet but thoughts and opinions and especially coming from a public figure that's a big thing and if one asian kid gets called wonton soup because of that tweet fuck that shit you know i don't i'm not gonna stand for that you know that's not cool and like we have to tackle these issues of racism in asian american communities yes I'm all about that. Does that mean I'm going to give a pass to people to call my people wonton soup? Fuck that, you know? Do you think there's ever a time to get a pass? Is there ever a time to get a pass? To insult another racial Oh, group? insult? Oh, well, that that <laughs> that's a whole thing, actually. That's something that's really funny. Um, yeah, so it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious, Gordon. It can be. It can be. It okay. really can be. Growing up, I grew up in Alhambra, the 626, and it's very heavily populated. I'd say like half Asian people of, from all sorts, Vietnamese, um, Taiwanese, Chinese, not a lot of Japanese and Korean people. Uh, we had like Cambodians, some South Asian people, and then a lot of Latinos, um, specifically mostly Mexican and then a small Salvadoran community. Mm -hmm. 
And so it was like 50-50. And so when you get those two, when you get a bunch of like non-white people in a play like we're gonna fuck with each other like and you know that there was some racist shit said on those playgrounds I'm like sure, you know yeah. like but it was all it wasn't in i'm not gonna say it was all in good fun and say it was say it was okay but like i will say that like i don't think it was okay for like some of the things that i was called when i was a kid but like if it came from a latino dude and then like all of us were saying shit back like were we kind of playing into each other a little bit probably yeah. you know it was like part of a game almost uh. we were just fucking around and at the at the great thing about it was at the end of the day none of us cared we still all walked down to the asian place that was to that was cooked by probably latino dudes in the back and then ate together mm-hmm. afterwards or we went to pepe's down the street or got lucas at the 76 like it was still a together thing you know it was never like there was no race war you know so when i when it comes to the pass i wouldn't say an explicit pass is ever like a real thing you can give from a community but i will say that sometimes it's not as not as bad as others. Okay, you know? I I will say that. So you're on Facebook. Yeah. And what happens? So you so, you get fired up. Oof, yeah, I get real fired up because I'm like, wait, how is this a thing? And I I started I I started in my opinion I I haven't read those comments in literally years, so I, I really don't know. But in my mind's eye, I I'm trying to approach this as logically as possible. You know, like basically saying what I just told you of like, except I was just impassioned right now, but I, I had the safetyness of a keyboard to delete things before I said them. Um, so <laughs> Don't worry, I'll let it all that out. Thank God. It's all Please good. do. Yeah. <laughs> Put the filter over that makes me sound like not a asshole. <laughs> oh, that's no. been on the whole time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's not been working, but you know. Not working very well. But anyways, I, um, so I was over on the Facebook post and then I, was commenting and then just saying like you know wait i don't get this like how does anyone get a pass like you're like our people do not deserve you know just like trying to like talk it out with people and then the first comment i put on there immediately people just started jumping down my throat and going like it was literally just like a competition of who could be the most woke everyone's looking for a that's a real thing yeah exactly that's a real real thing and i think it's a it's an issue within liberal politics but anyways that's beside the point. What I'm trying to say is all these people started jumping down on my throat. People started calling me blue lives, like a blue lives matter person. Mm-hmm. They were like, you're just like those blue lives matters people like with what you're saying. And it's like, how is that any, in any to way do with what you're talking yeah, about? Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then it just devolved, you know, it, it only went South. I was imagining an open discussion and conversation. Even if I was like the dissenting voice, I'm okay with that. But that did not happen at all. Mm. It was just, this person who had made the post and all of that person's friends just replying to my comments saying like, you're a fucking piece of shit. Like, you know, the Asian people are racist. Like, why would you stand up for, for racism? And I'm like, what? I'm not saying racism is okay. I'm not saying Asian people being racist to anybody is okay. I'm saying that this public figure should not be calling some random Asian person wonton soup. That is not a good example. Well, for I anybody. have a problem with that. It's not a random Asian person. It's a specific Asian person. <laughs> it is a very specific Asian person. Yeah. That is not the greatest person. Yes, I will agree with that. Yes. but th- So that happened. And then what I was talking about earlier, actually, which is funny because now it just comes out in my speech, in my actual everyday conversation. But that is what inspired my self-love, like that idea of explicit self-love. I kind of came to the conclusion that all these people just hated themselves you know not because yes exactly because they were bred to to not value their own ethnic racial or human existence over others because they were never like yo asian people are dope we deserve just as much as other people 
let's have ourselves on the same standard, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's just the feeling and emotion that I got. And so I created my poetry program of my senior year, which was basically yellow is beautiful. Basically, like, there's no reason for me to say how much I love myself. I'm just going to say it and tell everyone, every single one of you in this room, how much I love myself for being Asian. And that's cool. That should be acceptable. And that's something that my, my, my community needs. You know, so that was my poetry program for senior year. It oh. sounds great. I, I, I thought showing up in the Kill Bill yellow is great, but all all yellow jumpsuit was a little extreme. Was, was it? A, yeah, it was a little bit too far. Did you see the pictures? Yeah. Yeah, I that's, think that's probably why I didn't make it past quarters in HFO. Yeah. You know? They just and shut me down. Costume. <laughs> costume right there, you know? They did not like that. And this, the samurai sword was a bit much, too. I think the samurai sword was acceptable. The part where I cut my black book, that was in not half. okay. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. <laughs> Thank I thought you. It was impressive. I practiced. I practiced. Just a lot. Really. You know, no joke. I actually, uh, I never saw it, but I heard about a guy who huh. did a piece that had pyrotechnics in his book. What? And he actually had like a fireball shoot out of his book. <laughs> and uh, man, I always wanted to see that. This never man is wild. And wait, when was this? This is a probably early 2000s. So you're, like he had one of those magician yeah, like, little fiery kind of things. things he, and he, like a button. Like had it pop out. Yo, low-key, that's kind of fire. I mean, I kind of want to see that. I did a piece, (laughs) I think I might have talked about it on this podcast before, but I I did a piece my senior year that was all, um, it was about choice and how people's Mm. choices affect how you're doing, what you're doing. And so I had uh, these giant playing cards and I dipped them in liquid metal and then they dried them out and then I, I stripped out the rings on my book and I put a giant magnet in and I printed on each card a different poem so i fanned it out and people would pick the poem that i would perform so it would it 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 took like an hour to rehearse the whole thing just to (laughs) just to practice it but i had all these different poems that would you know i could perform it was always different it was a different poetry piece every time wow and i always thought that that was an ingenious way to kind of get prop so to speak but hey it was the actual literature they're printed on the cards so you kind of work around some of that of uh of using oh that's shady but nah but you and hale have uh, you two are virtuosic in that way i remember hale tried to get me to do a piece he didn't get he didn't try to he got me to do a piece a di my my sophomore year where i like went up to people and like stabbed them with like a a, a, a non-existent knife like it was a lot That's so awesome it was yeah it was that. it was it was a piece about audience interaction yeah and it was me i would talk to people and just like sit down in the seat next to them and like look at them in the eye and like be like no i really want like are you do you see this person like and like really interact with them and shit was fucking crazy so yeah. how did you do with the poetry oh man that's sh- oh my god i love this that. Is your senior year yeah i love that program so freaking much man um uh, at HFO, I got fifth with it, I want to say. Um, I had this amazing room at HFO that I, I still can remember. I remember, I think, I know Abigail Manali was in there. Um, Logan Miles Stacer was in there. I believe Kennerly Benrati was in there. Um, and it was just like this, oh, God, it was just incredible. And performing in that room was so amazing. Like, you know, forensics. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is I got fourth, I think, fifth place at that HFO. I did okay at Norton. And then AFA didn't break wild ouch yeah wild i remember i remember that moment because i remember exactly the moment i i lost the piece it was in my it was in my second so afa is a three-round tournament 
first round, I two I, judges each round. Two judges, judges each round. That's right. So six scores throughout your prelims. I remember my first round didn't go too well. Mm. Um, the judges were just didn't like it. I performed it perfectly. I know I was in time. I hit all my jokes well. They just weren't feeling it. Mm. First round of the day, mm. they just weren't feeling it, and that's okay. Like I think that's why there are three rounds and six judges. You know, because like. Uh, those rounds are put in there to account for that you know sometimes some judges are just not it's subjective everything is subjective you know but if you're this whole thing is subjective right very much kind of the whole point Mm -hmm. and if you're good enough and undeniable enough you will make it through you know like through six rounds there's no way even if you have two lay judges or two judges that just don't fuck with you the other four will pick you up enough where you're undeniable and you'll make it through i remember the exact moment i lost my 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 finals like my break was in my second round um the two pages before my 8 30 page i flubbed i had a huge like 15 second flub um, and I was practicing it right outside, and I remember feeling oddly nervous that round. And I was like, "This is really weird," and I felt really sleepy. And it, like, I even though I had energy, I felt sleepy, and I couldn't keep my eyes open. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I got up there, and then two pages before my eight thirty, I, I flew. It was a huge, huge like fifteen second. Flood. Maybe you were drugged. I yo, maybe you were Mr. like Sani you were bottle, date bro. raped, but like you know for AFA for AFA for only that ten minute. Yeah, <laughs> for that hour. <laughs> right before uh, you know maybe that's a good tactic maybe somebody's gonna go around doing that like, i fucking hope not let me help you with some here's something to drink here's some water yeah you look really dehydrated bro <laughs> just and then you're just not and you can't perform that that's yeah. so awful yeah it was it was it was man it was bad and i, I remember like i just remember that moment it, i mean it wasn't t- it wasn't terrible you know it happens it happens to everyone really so yeah. i'm not tripping about it i can just still remember that exact moment of like that at that moment i was like oh i fucked up that i think that was it you know because basically in the first round if i went like three four because they weren't fucking with me second round third round i need to go like one two one one yeah. you know and i could have um the perfor- other performances in there i think i was just as strong or i could have like outperformed them a little bit um but then i, I had a huge flub and then instead of going three four one 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 i went like three four and then like two four one one yeah and then like it just I was, fell apart yep and then i was like 28th or something like that like Instead of, you know, the 24. Just missed it. Yep. So it was right there. And then, but I do remember that the last time I ever performed the piece, I, like I, the reason why I have a lot of closure about it now, even though it was my senior year piece, um, it, it was, the, I, I did it justice. Mm. You know, I, on the you third round. You sent it off, right? Yep. I, I already knew basically in my heart, I was like, I don't think this is going to break anymore because of that second round. And just like accepting that in the moment. And then just performing my ass off third it, round. Yeah. And it, it was, I performed it like it was the final, you know? Man, you know, you touched on something that um, it, it's really unique. But when you're a senior, mm. especially senior in college, and you know, mm. this is it. This is my last performance. And I remember, I remember my very last round mm-hmm. and my last prelim round going, if I don't break anything, this is it. There's yep. nothing left after this. Yep. And just kind of, I remember it was a duo. I remember saying to my duo partner, I was like, hey, this is my last prelim round ever. Yeah. And I've been doing this for so many years. Yeah. And I'm really happy to share this with you. Wow. And, and we just had this cool little moment of like, we're setting this ship off into the night. Let's put it to bed. Let's do the best we can with what we got. And if we get out, great. And if not, let's, let's, let's feel good about this. And we mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Setting it off into like the... The setting off the ship into the sea. Yeah. You know? I like, mean, Ooh. people who kind of come, I call them butterflies, people that come mm-hmm. and like land in forensics for a little while and then float on and maybe come mm-hmm. back even. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that they would understand that, the meaning of that. But people mm-hmm. that really spend, 
you know, four or eight or even now like 12 years. Yep. I mean, hell, I've got students that have started in second grade <laughs> that are now doing it in, in college. Jesus. I mean, you think about that. Like how many years of doing competitive speech and then you get this last final round and it's kind of like, man, that's, that's a whole end of the chapter of your life. Mm-hmm. At that point, you're doing forensics for long. You have done forensics for longer than you haven't done forensics. Oh, for sure. More, yeah. more of your life has been spent with doing forensics in your life than not. than not. And that is just a wild thing to that's think. That's crazy. Yeah. And so I think that the reason that that's a good reason why I have so much closure about that piece is because um, I feel like I, I, I did it justice. And then on top of that, I that year I had a duo with, again, the same friend that introduced me to forensics, Raul mm-hmm. Herrera. We moved to Nebraska together and competed on that team together. And so we had a duo that year and then we got to finals with it and we got fourth that year. Yeah. At so, AFA? Yeah, at AFA. Well, that's great. Yeah, it was a good. Oh, man, it was such a good time, dude. And it was wild because, I don't know, in my head, I think I've always had a, a bit of a complex, a bit of a, an inferiority complex of like, just not having a lot of self-confidence growing up and it, maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's the whole Asian thing of like, I never saw myself in media. I don't know what it is, but I've always had that sense of like, I don't like, I don't know if I have it, you know, even no matter how much positive affirmation is thrown at me, like, yo, you are blessed and you are meant to have what you have and you're incredible and talented. Keep doing you no matter how many things that are thrown at me. It's something that it's always been very difficult for me to accept. So well, remember- a lot of those become those like affirmations, mm-hmm. you know, they become, there's platitudes, right? They, mm, they can yes. start to just be this like yep. s- empty shell of a saying. And you're like, yep. yeah, that sounds good. You mm-hmm. know, the, the rhythm of what you're saying, the wording sounds good, but it doesn't really sink in mm-hmm. to my heart. It sinks into my brain maybe, but not into my heart, not to my soul, not to mm-hmm. who I am. It's hard to really absorb some of that stuff. It is. And I think it's more experiences that start to, to do. That's why speech is so great is mm-hmm. that it gives you that opportunity to get up, speak your voice about what you want to say mm-hmm. and start to develop some of that, that self-worth. Yeah, and so I think I got some of that self-worth from my senior year. My senior year duo was about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my senior year duo was about me. So check it. My my coaches were wild, and they, they, it was a couple months out from um, like the last leg tournaments. Mm-hmm. Maybe just like we only had like a month left or like a month and a half, like six more tournaments in the in the year basically. Which, what, you know, but they're leg tournaments, so 12, 12, 12 days. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is um, there wasn't much time left. You know, it was like the, it was the tail end of the year. We, my duo partner and I still didn't have a duo and we needed one. And so DACA was a really, really big thing back then. Mm-hmm. At, at that time, it was a very, really big topic and like very, like it was discussed all the time in the news in, in forensics specifically, of course. And I'm a DACA student. And so... <laughs> My coaches were like, all right, let's make it about you. (laughs) (laughs) They literally were like, all right, let's make this piece about you. Let's make it about you being a DACA student. And so I've had um, this this journalist that I knew since I was like 16 or 17. Her name's Daniela Gerson. She was a journalist for an Alhambra newspaper where I grew up, Alhambra. Alhambra newspaper um, when I was younger and then interviewing me when I was younger. And then when President Trump got elected um, and he did, he was doing DACA shit and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, she hit me up and she was like, yo, remember me? Like, I haven't talked to you in like four years. What's up? And I was like, hi, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm still doing the reporter thing. Do you want to be in the LA Times? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I would love to. That sounds incredible. And she's like, well, I don't know. Just, you know, do you want your identity obscured and blah, blah, blah? And I was like, no, fuck that. I want it to be known. I'm yeah. cool with my identity. Because polit- they, they, can, they can't do anything to me, you know? Like, I have the correct papers to be here. 
I have DACA, you know? And so, yes, it was scary because people have been deported even with the right papers, which is scary shit. But I wasn't about to let that hide my truth, you know? And so this reporter came to me and wrote two articles about me in the LA Times. And then once my, my coaches found out about it, they were like, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell us this sooner? And I was like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't just don't say shit. Like I'm not, I don't self-promote that much. And then they were like, well, let's fucking use these articles and put it in a piece and make it about DACA. So and it was so, a program? Is a duo program? Yes, it was a duo program. And it literally opened. The first lines were, Gordon Ip. <laughs> And that's my great. duo partner said that. And then it was just me waving at like, that's me. Like, because it was just funny because. Um, that's awesome. That's an yeah. autobiographical duo. It was an autobiographical duo. So like, don't get me wrong. We didn't do the piece. It, it didn't end up actually being about me as a person, but like it opened with me and then used, used my, the articles that were written about me in the LA times uh, in, spliced throughout the sure. program. And then we had like a poetry 830, you know, so sure, was, you got a, a through line. Of yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I only say that to say that I, I got a huge amount of closure of, of my friend's career with that because it was like, a, it was literally about me. Like it was literally, and on top of that, getting the affirmation of like, yo, I am dope. And like knowing that and being proven, it, it being proven to me mm-hmm. by the universe and going like, yo, keep doing your shit. Like you're meant to do things. Do you be creative, you know, create things, inspire change. Um, it was really, really big for me at that time. And, you know, the affirmation of like, that was my story. That was enough to inspire people and, and for people to see and, and, and not judge, you know, and not be like, what the fuck? Who's this dude doing his fucking piece about his own life? Get the fuck out of here. Mm. You know, it, it, it wasn't received that way, you know, and I feel very grace and blessed for that to have happened. So after you're done at Nebraska, Mm -hmm. you come back to LA Mm -hmm. and then you start coaching at ELAC a little bit. Yep. And then you're, you also start coaching with me over mm-hmm. at Wilshire. I'd at like Wilshire. to know a little bit about your coaching experience. What was that like going from being in the spotlight to being behind the spotlight? Mm. Uh, man, I still think I, – I feel like I still don't – I haven't fully processed all of that. Because I've been coaching from a very young age just because of spoken word. You, right. You kind of – once you get into the spoken word community, you and your fellow poets who are like your same age, you kind of become their coach too. Right. So you that, coach that, each other. It's the it, same in forensics, right? But I, I was coaching ELAC when I was like 21. Right before I moved to Nebraska, I, I spent a year coaching. And so that was already a seed planted very early. And then when I came, every time I came back for winter break and summer break, I was coaching then too. So it was, it was a very smooth transition. So you're coaching the enemy essentially. I mean, (laughs) if they were to go to AFA, then (laughs) you'd be like, Hey, I'm going to hit these guys. But that's the thing. It would be the same thing. It was not even the enemy because it'd be like, I hit my own teammates in a round. That's all it would be. That that's how much, uh, homage I pay to Elac and being a Husky because that it really taught me a lot about being professional, about respecting people, about performance. Like it, it taught like those, my coaches and that institution as, as a whole really taught me a lot about how to carry myself in the world. Mm. So it, even if I was coaching someone and then like s- someone from Elac knocked me out of a quarter, I'd be like, hell yeah, that was like my teammate that just knocked me out of the quarter. I'm proud of that. You know? And what, what do you find the differences to be between coaching college and coaching middle school? Oh, my Lord, you, <laughs> I don't know, you know what you're about to get and that's okay. And I appreciate you asking this. <laughs> you know exactly what you're about to get right now. Um, coaching university and college and I, I, I think even to an extent high school is I think what my wheelhouse is. Mm. I think... 
I don't have the skills necessary to always always to reach the younger audience when it comes to teaching and coaching. I don't think I quite have a strong enough grasp on my own personal identity, my own personal teaching methods or what I believe in and my morals in the classroom and stuff like that mm-hmm. to adequately guide younger kids. You know, when it's a high schooler, high schooler, I, I, I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but I'll be real with y'all. High schoolers are easy, like because mm. they, they think they're the shit because we've all been there like high school, like you're in high school. You think they're the shit. You think you know everything. And then it's that's so much easier to direct their energy and be like, OK, I see all this energy you have let me show you what's up for real like because they kind of have the they can put in the effort and put an intention to listen to a particular thing or learn about a particular thing for me personally when i teach younger kids especially elementary school kids like third fourth grade in forensics it's a real struggle sometimes being able to make sure they got they really understand what you're saying yeah that's the that's the hugest part you know um you know, you can repackage the stuff that you're saying in different ways and try to teach them through activities or lessons and all these different things, but it's not always as easy to, to see the results. You know, when I coach someone at ELAC, I coach them for two hours. I see them next week. There are changes. And I'm like, it literally, you know, I told you to do this thing one, one week you did it. And then I saw you next week and then they were done. And now the piece is better. Right. The, the results there are so much more tangible. Whereas when you're coaching elementary school kids or teaching elementary school kids, it's like, man, like the whole thing is consistency. Yeah. You know, it's like showing up every day or every time that you're supposed to see them, seeing them and then making the impact that way. Cause that's the only way to make a lasting impact sometimes. Yeah. So that, I think there's the hugest difference. For I me. think you're right. There's a, I mean, it's also, you got so many other distractions mm-hmm. as with elementary students, you're dealing with, soccer and violin Mm -hmm. and homework and everything else not that college doesn't have that they're just different types of distractions you know (laughs) now it's like the girl or Mm -hmm. the the job or Mm -hmm. weed or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that's distracting them there there's there's different distractions but the the number of distractions i feel like with uh with elementary students and just also the attention to you know the ability to focus is hard for a lot of them i also think it's the nature of forensics yes plus one to you and also like the nature of forensics is like like it's just i think it's a a lot easier to direct a kid to kick a ball this way than to be like yo can you make sure that every time you make an argument you also back it up with one piece of evidence Mm -hmm. like and not, that's not to oh, say... Oh, and also feel it. Yeah. It, right? Also mean it. Also mean it from your heart. Like, yeah. I really want you to believe With that. With a soccer ball, it's like, you don't have to mean it. You just got to get the ball from point A to point B. It's yes. just get it there, right? <laughs> not to not to say that coaching sports is, e- like, easier. I think they're just different things. Yeah. And definitely kids are... It's way easier for a kid to be able to access their body and physicality because that's something that's so internal and guttural to humans because we're, like, really just animals that learned how to talk, right? Um but then like using thought and argumentation at such a young age like that is not going to come as easy. Like, let's just be real. I, I'm not saying it's easy, yeah. but I would say coaching, coaching a sport is like teaching, teaching somebody how to use a sundial. It's kind of difficult, but it could be done. Mm. Teaching a, a young person to do forensics is like teaching them how to build a Swiss watch. You know, it's like, it's there's so many gears yep. and complex layers and yep. it's like this is hard man mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's hard I, when students come in and they start doing debate especially i'm like 
get ready. Yeah. You know, because you are going into the whitewater rapids of, yep. of this and yep, you yep, yep. think that you're going into a kiddie pool and it ain't that, man. Mm-mm. It goes so much faster. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That is what it is. But also, it's also so rewarding because I also know that. Um, so the Wilshire Academy, for the most part, is not even the most part. I Like just looking back now, like is the most amount of educational experience I've had with people of that age, you mm. know? Before that, it was like weekly, but only for like a six week span for poetry. You know, mm-hmm. I used to be a, a teacher for poetry in, in um, certain Los Angeles elementary schools too, um, through Get Lit. So I used to do that. But even then it was like, you know, six week, 12 week course, something like that. But now I've been coaching at Wilshire since, I don't know, like October of yeah. last year. Like for, it's almost over, been, it's over been, a year. It's been over a year now. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Wow, it's wild how time flies, but it's been over a year now. And so because of that, like being there so consistently and seeing all the effects you have on these kids. Oh, my God. It's so freaking rewarding sometimes. I really like when they get it. Exactly. When they get it. Oh, my God. Do you remember freaking Minjun and Unyu? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yo, shout out to Minjun and Unyu, yo. You two made me. Like y'all are the reason why I, I I put up and like made sure to come through every week. I know y'all probably aren't gonna listen to this ever in your entire lives, but Mingjun and Unyu, you two are the reasons why I went to Wilshire. Cause one week they had nothing memorized and couldn't write ap- past their f- intro. Next week they came with full freaking speeches yeah. and half of it memorized. That is the best feeling in the world when you're like, yo, you really did it. Yeah. You really went home and finally like heard me and went like, oh, they said to oh this is so fun and like they get to find the magic that everyone hope i think listening to this podcast why the fuck would you listen to a forensics podcast if you didn't feel the magic of forensics right i really hope you do maybe they're trying to improve their english maybe it's some (laughs) tribe in africa who's like uh yeah they they speak swahili and they're trying to work on their english language yo come through honestly i'm down for that too i hope you don't i i have i don't have the best english so i wasn't born here you know so that's always an excuse. <laughs> it is. <laughs> hey, man, this is the part of the podcast that uh, I'm going to ask you some survey questions. So, I... like, inside the actor studio, you Ooh. know, like uh, James Lipton, that kind of thing. So, uh, this is what I call the final round. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so these are 10 <laughs> survey questions we ask everybody. Question number one. Were you superstitious? Yes. I went to the restroom and washed my hands and my face between every round. I think they call that OCD, my friend. <laughs> no, it was superstition for sure. It, oh, and it, on top of washing my hands, I, I have the lotion with me now in my bag, I think too. But there's this, this specific gold bond hand cream that I would need to use. Because first of all, you know, you're washing your hands all day. You're getting super hydrated. Oh, a, another suspicion I had. Uh, I'll get to that after. But I had a gold band thing, gold bond thing. I would wash my hands, wash my face, and then gold bound my hands with that exact lotion or else I would not feel right. Because on top of it, moisturizing my hands and feeling good mm-hmm. it helped me flip my pages because my, my my fingers were like well moisturized and so i could actually turn page by page instead of like getting a clump another superstition i had in every round right before i went up i would finish my water bottle so to make sure i had nothing left in the tank mm. you feel me yeah. so like i would have to finish my water bottle and that was my goal because like i need to be as hydrated because i'm about to give it my all so i would fill up my water bottle drink the entire thing in the round before i went up and then, uh, because I drank the whole entire bo- water bottle, I went and peed right after. All right, there and that you go. was my superstition. Did you ever get stuck in a room and have to pee? Oh, all the time. All the time. And now, my. Now, uh, did you leave or did you just suffer through it? Nope, suffered through it. There was one time I Ooh. was dying, and I, I said, <laughs> I got to go. 
I gotta go. I gotta go. I just, and I was like, I'm going to pee my pants if I do not get up out of this chair. And I, I know the social, like, pressure of not doing that. But, yeah. and I was like, and I'm not going to ask permission. This is not. You're not and a I was child. Like, and I did it. And after that, I felt so free. Yeah. And I was like, I'm doing this every time from now on. I'm not doing that anymore. And and, and from that point forward, it was a, actually HFO. Yeah. And I said, I'm never asking permission. And if I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk out of this room. Let's and I'm go. not going to let that pressure of, no, you have to sit there and watch everybody's speech. No, man, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. That's beautiful, though. That's cool as shit. I think, yeah. What is that? Why do we not pee? That's a great question, dude. I have no fucking clue. I think it's definitely just a social norm thing. And then on top of that, it's like... Nobody's ever told me that, no, you can't go to the bathroom. No one's <laughs> ever said that. Except in speech. <laughs> but, but, but there's a there's an unspoken pressure yes, on you to stay in the room. You watch everybody's Every pieces. Every single person's piece. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but, dude, my eyeballs are floating right now, all right? I got to go. I think, it's a, I think it's a respect thing. And then like for people fear of people abusing that of like i don't feel like watching this person's so i'm gonna go right. use the restroom yeah, but i think it's generally like a respect thing not to say that i just need to go use the restroom is disrespectful because that's dumb like yeah it's a, it's mutual respect if you know i am a human i'm gonna hold out here as long as i can if i need to go pee before this round ends i'm sorry i I'm would argue it's it. more disrespectful for me to pee my pants in the middle of your pee. <laughs> I'm down for you to pee your pants during my poetry program. <laughs> I'd be like, I really moved that guy. That guy. Yeah. He was. He, he had a bowel movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was so moved. All right. Question number two. Who was the competitor you most admired? Ooh, wow. That's a fan. That's a good question. Thanks. That's I thought a, of it myself. Great job. Wow. I wow. I want to give you an accurate answer, so I am going to give this a little bit of thought. Okay. Can you can you tell me a little bit about yours while I think about this? You know, no one's ever asked me that question. I would love to know yours. Um, I would say uh definitely one of the the top competitors I admired was Paul Davis. I'm not Do you mm. know Paul Davis? He judged for a little while too. You might have crossed paths with him. He did some poetry that blew my mind. Yeah. And he was doing some stuff where he like, a lot of it I think was home rights. And I talked mm -hmm. about it afterward mm -hmm. and he admitted that it was. Yeah. But he was a senior when I was coming in as a freshman. And that's usually how it goes, right? You see these seniors who are really pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And he did a poetry program and it and he like, he did parts where it was all about breaking convention and he was like running to the back of the room and the poem was all about, he was, it, literally the line was like, he's standing in the back of the room and he was saying like <laughs> what he was doing and, and all this stuff and I was like, man, this guy's really doing, oh, that, the way he ended it was, yeah. don't clap for me. If you clap for me, you don't understand me or something to that effect mm. and then when he closed his book, it was silent. You could hear a pen drop and I'm yeah. like, that is power. That's man. gorgeous. Everyone's doing what you're saying. Shout out to Paul Davis. Shout yeah, out to Paul sure. Davis. I think from... For mine, it's hard. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real. It's, it's difficult right now coming up with a top, like the A number one. I, can I do a three? Give me three, but give me, give me the one you want to talk about the most. Give me okay. one that you want to highlight. Um, I'm just going to say it just because it's the, it's the only one that I can think of that I really, really know of that I really do want to speak about. There, there are a bunch of them that I would name, but anyways, I'll just get to it. Um, one of the persons that I mentioned earlier, Kennerly David Benrati, um, he affected me a lot because his senior year, we had these fantastic conversations about some of the pieces he was doing 
and oh my god i don't know what it was but i do know what it was it was because he was breaking convention but not in a self-serving look at me type of way of like look at me breaking forensics convention using the bathroom in the middle of the round you know <laughs> but how dare it was, you <laughs> it wasn't like that it was like he had this really beautiful prose about a baseball pitcher and it was about uh it was about a pitcher but the entire thing was an allegory for forensics and it was about this guy that was trying to pitch a no hitter and and like oh my god and i had the most wonderful conversation with him about it i think either at our state tournament it might have been state or it might have been this other like we had a we had a second semester state tournament and first semester state I think it was called the showcase, and I got, I had like a half hour to like hour conversation with him after one of our rounds after I watched his prose, and he was like especially in his senior year he was so down because he just did whatever the fuck he wanted but on top of that his performance was beautiful he was so incredibly subtle with everything but. I, I watched him throughout his junior year because we were in the same district and he also has the performative aspect of being able to move his body, move a crowd, be poetic, have rhythm, have all these different great performance elements that are usually very high on like the poi and poetry, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, checklist. But then he switched it up and he was like, yo, I'm going to do all this subtle shit my senior year. And his entire senior year was kind of like, a it was kind of a, a hats off to forensics of like, yo, I'm just going to do what I love and I do not care whether or not I win or not because I know at the end of the day what I'm going to look back at is how I felt after doing this program. Sure. Not what fucking, po- the, what, not what um, award I got, you know? So Kennerly, David Benarati. Kenny, That's if nice. you're listening to this, bro, you're the shit. I'm still thinking about what you. What a great compliment. I still remember that lawyer you were telling me about that was one of your um, professors and what and what she was she was talking to you about and teaching you about. And I, 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 I cherish all the conversations we had, my bro. All right, question number three. Yeah. What's the most memorable speech you've seen? Most memorable speech I've seen was... Man, uh... I'll name one of them that I'm not able to talk about too much because I don't know too much about it because I actually never saw it. I only saw a draft of it. Um, it was Cesar Magaña Linares, my fucking brother in arms. My fucking bro- that's my brother, my actual brother right there. He's in he's at he's in Nebraska as well. He was my old teammate and um, he was one year younger than me. So when I had already graduated, his senior year, he did a persuasion about abolishing ICE. And woo shit! Like nowadays, that's a very I've heard that more than once now. Abolish sure. ice. Yeah. But the first time I heard about that sentiment at all was from him, and he was like, "Yo, I have this idea for a persuasion. Let me know if it's crazy." And both of us, and both of us are undocumented, and so he was like, "Yo, what if we abolish ice?" And I was like, "What the fuck?" And I, like he blew my fucking mind. But I wish I could talk about that piece more, but I can't. The one that I will talk about and can't talk about is a di by Caleb um, Merritt. Um, who went to Hastings College in Nebraska. And he did this fucking DI about um, uh, uh, a trip, the the dude that that walked between the Empire State Building. No, wait a minute. Yeah. I did that. What the fuck? Oh, no, you were telling me about that. And I was like, yo, I know someone that did the same thing. Yes, he did that piece. Yeah. Man on Wire? Yeah. I don't know which. He he did. he, He cut between two documentaries. 
I think yeah he 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 cut between two do- two different documentaries. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I took third at NFA with that. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, see, look, this see this podcast really is just about you, isn't it, Robert? Well, it, what's when that <laughs> movie came out? That podcast. The, that sorry, that podcast. Yeah. That movie was still in theaters, and yeah. I got a screener wow. copy. Wow. I like wrote to them, and they sent me a screener copy while it was still in theaters. Yeah. And I was like traveling all around. Uh, you know, tournaments trying to lay claim to it because I knew people were going to try to get wow, on it. I was like, like I was really trying to, and somebody else told me that some of the people had tried, but they're like, no, nah, don't do it. Somebody's already got it. And and I was kind of like, good, because I, I wanted to lay claim to that fast because I knew Oof. it was such a good piece, great character. Fire. So, Fire. Yeah. so yeah. tell me about it. So what happened? So Caleb fucking Merritt, bro. He cuts these two deals. I don't know how to describe it, bro. It was just so fucking gorgeous because throughout the entirety of the 10 minute piece, he'll start near the back of the room mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, the, the, the front of the stage, like the front, but like in the it, near the near the whiteboard, basically near the back, uh, near the wall. And throughout the 10 minutes, he walks no, slower wait a minute. That's and what slower I did. and slower to you. What? I, I walked out in the audience. Oh, no, he doesn't walk out to the audience. Oh, okay. No, he I doesn't. got you. Yeah, he doesn't walk out to the audience. But it was just like the very slow movement of like every page. His blocking is incredible. Caleb Merritt is, I've known him to be an incredible. I was um, going to say, wait, wait a minute. This is just my piece. Someone stole your shit. No, nah, I don't think he, he definitely would. He's a very incredibly creative sure. person. I, I, I really. Well, it's hard to say that somebody's stealing mm-hmm. from your ideas anyway, because it's not your idea. Mm-hmm. It's. It's the piece, right? Yeah, We're yeah. all kind of stealing, and interpretation is so similar. Like, mm-hmm. I, he doesn't know who I am. I, I don't know who this guy is. I, mm. I'm sure he doesn't know who I'm. He's looking at good literature that actually was fairly famous, mm-hmm. and he's going, "Well, how do I represent this? How do I bring this to light?" And if, there's only so many ways you can yeah, do that, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you just stand there doing nothing, everybody's, everybody's gonna be like, "Why don't you move around <laughs> Why a little you bit?" Walk and there's only so bit. many ways you can do that. You can actually <laughs> manifest that. So, no, I don't take it at all. Uh, yeah, that way. but yeah, he was just incredible. Because first of all, I'll, I'll just start with like the basics. His accent was on point, um, but then his plot, like, I can't even describe it now. But his piece was uh, him and and Kennerly were very. Uh, similar in this regard in that their senior years were in so incredible caleb merritt won won di junior year of mm-hmm. afa so he, he he went first place and then his senior year instead of like doing the capitalize on my fame and success thing he was like fuck that and his entire senior year all of his pieces were based were all nods to forensics and saying like i've been doing this for like 10 12 years I love you. This community has taught me so much about myself and this is my gift back to you. And so his DI was about that and like, oh God. That's what my DI was about. No, <laughs> All right. Question number four. Now we touched four. on this earlier. Yeah. How do you explain forensics to someone who's unfamiliar with it? I've heard it as, I've heard it explained as competitive acting mm-hmm. um, by Israel, Israel Beltran, which another one of my brothers. But, um, how would I describe it? I describe it, I always start, because I'm very poetry adjacent. I have a lot of people in the spoken word and slam communities. So whenever I'm speaking about it, I always say like, okay, so I did speech and debate, but you know how there's like those two words, speech and debate. So debate is what you usually think of behind a podium. You're like debating people. And what I did was all the very performative stuff. So I would say like, you know, it was like you did poetry. And then once, I, once I'm able to be like, oh, you did poetry, it, it is able to f- kind of create a, uh, 
uh, a divide in their brain of like, oh, okay, so it's not really what I'm thinking of. Let me actually engage and listen in this conversation. And then it's like, yeah, I was doing poetry and I would do monologues. You and do doing- poetry in debate? How yeah. does that work? <laughs> right. Sometimes it does go that way. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes it and does. And sometimes it is that way if you go into some of those debate rounds. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Question number five. Number five. What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? Unusual inspiration for a speech. What speeches did I do? Okay, so let's think about my junior and senior years. Uh, oh my god. Okay, well, it was a part of a piece. I'll say my most unusual inspiration for a part of a piece. My prose, my junior year, my first piece ever at University of Nebraska Omaha was a piece based off of the bodyguard, um, Whitney Houston's bodyguard. What? Yeah, so it was it was a piece based off of the bodyguard. But at the ending, instead of it being like a dramatic like, oh Whitney, I love you, it was about fucking I turned into I turned into Wolverine and then my arch nemesis turns into Cyclops and like blows laser beams at me and I like part of my arm falls off and shit. It was fucking wild as shit. But what I'm trying to say is <laughs> I inter- when I read the script, I interpreted this this character as someone that was very uh, devoid of emotion and very, very type A. Uh-huh. The part of, I don't know, which I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say like this person was very like logical, did not act with emotion and only did logic because he was a bodyguard. That's how I interpreted the character. And so I watch a lot of, I'm a huge fan of Rick and Morty. And so there's this character in there called Bird Person. And if you're familiar with Bird Person, he speak he speaks like this. And he... My name is Bird. That in bird culture, that is considered a dick move. Like he just talks like down there with almost no inflection. And so for my first like month with this piece, I was doing the piece like this. Hello, I am Whitney Houston's bodyguard. And I was like this. It was just fucking weird. And I loved it. I loved it because I finally had creative freedom, you know? So it was Bird Person from Rick and Morty for my Whitney, for my bionic Whitney The bodyguard meets Rick and Morty. (laughs) That's pretty, I'm going to say that's the unusual inspiration. That was the unusual one. All right, question number six. Yeah. Has a speech ever caused you to change? Oh, yeah, without a doubt speeches still ring true to me today speeches have speech and debate forensics has completely changed the way i view the world in literally every single way give me an example of that Mm. let me think i want to think of a very tangible example that has happened recently i mean you already kind of mentioned like uh, abolishing ice yes yes that's one of the things i think i think one of the things is like Oh man, that's difficult. Like I don't know cuz I feel like I live I feel like it, it I grew up in forensics. So my whole world view. Oh, okay, so for instance, like um stepping in and out of forensics and like the friends forensics community is an incredibly well-guarded sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I feel like where everyone is incredibly protected and supported, but the outside world is not that way. Mm. And as much a, a, of a bastion of of expression forensics is Mm -hmm. once you step outside of those walls you're gonna fucking get hit and no one's gonna fucking care Mm -hmm. people are not gonna care about your sensibilities unfortunately people are don't know anything about non-binary people people that are gender non-fluid or non-conforming or anything when it comes to like race relation like people just don't always have that information or knowledge readily available and so i'm just speaking in circles now i'm trying to think of something specific that has happened to me because it's weird because it's kind of oh right uh, so like for instance in my workplace 
spoken word's also a very uh, liberal space, so mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to say. But for instance, like um, ageism, like I don't think a lot of people think about that, and I think I got introduced specifically to this idea of ageism through forensics, and it's one of the ones that I kind of have. T- some troubles with some of the arguments sometimes, but at the same time, I'm aware of it, you know? And that right. is, that is one, I think one of the things that it, it in, in one way that it's it, not, not a specific speech, but a speech that I wrote for one of our kids. I think Janice was doing a poi mm-hmm. on, on ageism or something like that. Um, shout out to Janice, Janice Jin. Um, uh, after writing that piece and helping her write that piece um, for her program, it made me reflect and go like, Oh, interesting. You know, I don't fully agree with all the things said in this type of argument, but I'm definitely way more aware of like, oh, am I just treating this person this way because they're young and I um, assume they have no experience in this thing? Or if they're older and I think that they're part of the past or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, uh, we've talked about it um, you know, with Janice. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because there's there's only one group that officially, governmentally, they have the right to control outwardly and uh, and very publicly create laws that apply to them but yet does not get a vote in that in that process and that's people that are under the age of 18 that's totally ageist mm-hmm. uh, which isn't to say that necessarily they should have a vote I mean where do you draw that line do mm-hmm. newborn babies get the right to vote mm-hmm. I mean do we have some sort of physical limit set up you know to to say oh you have to to be this high to ride the ride or what i mean like how do you how do you do that but Mm -hmm. that's an interesting idea that we uh, as a governmental body um, as americans Mm -hmm. we are ageist toward a certain group and we Mm -hmm. certainly start to 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 you know discriminate against older people and younger people and in ways that we don't even think about and we just think oh that's our culture Mm -hmm. but if if you replace young with black and we said you can't vote because you're black it would be like, wait, what? What country am I in? Excuse me. Right. I mean, didn't we deal with all that stuff already? <laughs> right. And it's like, uh, uh, okay, you can't vote because you know you're you're not beautiful enough, mm. and that just sounds ridiculous. Or you can't wow. vote because you're too dumb, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you're dumb, you still have a right to vote. But right. in this country, if you're too young, you don't have the right to vote and there's all these other restrictions so i don't know i like that i think that's, mm-hmm. uh, that was an interesting piece that she did mm-hmm. sorry to get off on that tangent no, hey you. man question number seven number seven What'd wait you seven well six, six was that one six was seven. has the speech ever caused you to change oh my bad my bad yeah. all right seven, seven. Five was what was your most unusual inspiration my my mother what what was your most Dude, unusual come on, you can't be talking about my mom I, I think i'm not wanting this podcast to end so i'm just trying to delay <laughs> i'm having such a good time on this podcast robert maybe we'll do a part two someday please do all right question number seven seven what did you do with your awards that's so funny. Um, my AFA, uh, my AFA plate for fourth place became my fruit plate. <laughs> you have a fruit plate? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't. The thing is, I don't even use it anymore. But the, the summer after, you so, stopped eating fruit. I stopped eating fruit. You're all man. carnivore, yeah, and you're like, no, oh, no more fruit. Don't yeah. eat this plate. <laughs> I don't need any of these these colors on my on my <laughs> on my plate. I don't like any of these reds or purples. I only. <laughs> eat meat i don't know what that i don't know what that was about anyways it became my fruit plate and it was funny because i couldn't even use it when i got back home because you know when i came back home i moved back in with my parents after after college which thank god i'm so grateful for um that i was able to move back in with them um right after so afa is in like 
April. April. So from April all the way to like September in Omaha, when I was living there, I had a fruit plate and it was like a, it was it, fourth place. Isn't that big of a plate, but it was this small, but I was like, I'm, it was on my dining table and I just like put my bananas on it or put my apples on it. That, that's what became of that one. And all of the other ones, uh, my mom will not take them down. <laughs> she refuses to take them off the walls and I want to take them off the walls of my room. Yeah. And she's like, no, you can't. Like I'm, I, you're leaving those up. You are leaving those up. You're not taking those down. That's great. Thank God I've gotten her to take down some of the ones in the living room because they used to be like, I'm not trying to, that this is just a factual statement. They were like lining the walls mm-hmm. and I was like, those are so obnoxious. I, they don't mean anything really. Like they're just things I did once. What matters is the experience, et cetera, et cetera. But she was like, fine, but you're not taking the ones off your fucking, off off the walls in your room. I like, find that most, most of these trophies either end up in shrines, you know, at, mm. like, that moms build for their children <laughs> or they end up as garbage. You know, it's yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I threw them all out. I don't yeah. care about them anymore. It's like, yeah. whoa, man. Yeah. All right. <laughs> different, different strokes for different folks. Question yeah. number eight. What speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? Just the, the speaking part. <laughs> <laughs> just your ability to form words. My ability to form words. Yeah. Um, well, I, this isn't day-to-day life necessarily, but it is one thing where I, it literally directly applied to my life at once. I was doing this. What's the test for graduate school? What's that thing called again? The GRE. I was doing the GRE. I hadn't studied for it at all. Um, and then the writing portion is literally impromptu. If you uh. if you go back and look at a GRE, if, if, I don't know who's going to do this, but anyways, like if you go and look at a GRE test... And there's a written portion where they ask you, it's literally impromptu. They give you a quotation and then give them three examples as to why you agree or disagree with this quotation. Mm. And it's, and I literally smashed it. Like, I think I did, I think they gave me a perfect score on the impromptu section of it because it was literally impromptu. Let me just type out what I would have said. Exactly. And instead of like a minute and a half or a minute to prepare my speech, they gave me 30 minutes to write like, a small essay like i was like i'm this is so that was one way that it directly affected it once where i was like oh literally i know how to do impromptu i.e it translated into i can smash this part of my gre in terms of speaking man um i would say it definitely has affected my way the way i perform poetry now because i see a lot of spoken word poets and they aren't always super intentional about their body movements on stage Mm. and i see how much power it takes away from their performance and i use my body very intentionally during performances i don't you know you don't you know you never step unless you mean to step you don't shake your knees or 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 twist your shoulders in a way when you don't mean to twist your shoulders and you're saying this for for slam for spoken word yeah Yeah, for for spoken word and spoken word i've i you're absolutely right whenever Mm -hmm. i see them i'm like man you if you just came to the speech world you clean all this up and you just be so much sharper and cleaner and people yep. could absorb what you're saying better mm-hmm. that's it, great i'm glad to hear that yeah so it definitely translates it definitely translates in that way um and then that and then i guess like just speaking in an academic an academic or like professional setting it's mm. very helpful to like have been in that realm for so long and like just being around some of the smartest people you know you know in forensics it's like you develop an ability to comprehend and like express thoughts on the fly and that's Mm. cool you know i i think part of part of part of inequality is when people are voiceless Mm. you know and when you can't package your words in a way where people want to listen 
that that's going to be an issue, you know? So that's a skill that needs to be developed, that needs to be honed, honed, that needs to be sharpened. And, uh, forensics helps you do that. And I think that's what I use. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Question number nine. Nine. Why didn't you quit? (laughs) Why didn't I quit? I think I didn't quit because I hadn't won anything yet. I hadn't gotten first at Mm. EFA in anything yet. It was very much a glory thing for me. Um, is part like of chasing the honesty there. Yeah, definitely. It was it was it, it was a glory thing in that I was chasing affirmation through that glory. Mm. You know, it wasn't a. I think with that honesty, I can also honestly say that it wasn't a glory thing for, for the sake of like I want to be well known and like have people I don't know comment on my Facebook <laughs> or something. It was like a, um, I want to know that I am a good performer. I want to change people. I want to, and the and the best way to do and prove that is like someone handing you the award, saying like you did it, you mm. were the best. Like, and so I think I was chasing that for a long time, and that's why I didn't quit. And then on top of that, it, it, it helped me get through school. You know, um, I was floating directionless. You know, i.e. the PCC for a semester, GCC for a semester, and then the only thing that really kept me going was just forensics i was like okay well mm. now i have the idea of my, my major is answered for me i'm a communication study major easy you know i didn't have to think about am i going to be a nurse am i going to you know like what am i going to do it was just like all right it just pushed me in that direction and it, that i think that's why I that's didn't nice question number 10 this is my favorite question Ooh, interesting what was the best advice you've received about a speech the best advice i've ever What's received? the best speech advice you've ever received best speech advice i've ever received damn that's a good one you're a good are you do you do this for a living have you been do you i i do podcasts? it i don't know if i can if i can do it for a living <laughs> it's not a whole lot of money hey, in yo. in forensics podcasting hey, hopefully someday considering man. half the people that find it are like forensics this is about dead bodies right <laughs> oh wait never mind hey you should have a portion of your podcast where you, we just talk about dead yeah bodies i know right at some point yeah um best speech Mm. I think the best speech thing, it's probably just, it just, it's, I don't think it was any, I don't think it was from anyone particular. Nothing is coming to mind for me, but I do know that forensics talks a lot about finding your voice. And I think we do that two times and hopefully you get to do that two times at the, by the end of your forensics career. The first time you find your voice is when you find the voice you think people want to hear. And the second time you find your voice is when you really find it and really find why you want to be talking, what you're talking about, and in what ways. And I think that is what speech taught me. Um, I don't think it was from any particular person, but I think forensics as an institution and as a community taught me that, yeah, it's cool to pander to an audience and be able to change your voice or change your the way you speak to fit the narrative and and to get positive affirmation from people and from the masses and from the general public but it's so much more empower, empowering and, and and joyous to find your actual voice mm. you know and be able to find what that means both times yes both times nice. yeah so i think that's what forensics taught me that's interesting that's an interesting little idea hey gordon <laughs> you. yeah robert this is the end of the show man wow i can i can we not can we not just can we just this is it oh, we man. must part our separate ways 
Well, but you know, just like I was saying earlier about it being huh. the last time, let's enjoy these last few moments of podcast glory together. Gordon, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Any Facebook or Instagram or anything like that? Twitter? Yeah, uh, uh, I don't do the tweets many often, but I did recently go back into like my history and f- found out that I posted really funny Facebook statuses when I was younger. Um, but on Instagram, I'm learn and reflect, all one word, the word learn and then the word and, and then the, lear, the word reflect, learn and reflect. Um, that's I don't do social media that often. I'm on, I'm on Facebook too, Gordon Ip. That's my name on Facebook. But one place you can find me, I was just in my first feature film directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who is the director of Blind Blindspotting, um, and our film Summertime just got into Sundance. Uh, Sundance Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that is one place that you'll be able to find me and hopefully uh, many more. I'm sure that like people will be able to find that soon. If they're not going to Sundance, they'll probably find it at their, uh, on Netflix or Amazon or something like that. And we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye out for that. Please do. And then on the comments section, be like, yo, who's that cute Asian guy? You know, like I want to see Oh, and Gordon's cool too. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And as for us, if, uh-huh. uh, if you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Our handle on both of those is at Forensic Podcast. There we go. That's Forensic Podcast. Gordon, this has been great, man. Thanks Robert, so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure you, talking to you. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Hey, so fun. I appreciate you. All right. So until next round, keep talking. And as Gordon says, find your voice twice. I'm not an actress. Oh, you're acting now. Because if you're not, somebody must show you how you got the same phone call.